Hello and welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Our guest today is Braden Gall, the owner of 440 Sports. I will be joining their network and Braden and I will talk about that and we will spend about an hour talking about Vanderbilt and the SEC. Great podcast today and very excited to have Braden as a part of this. The Vandy Sports Podcast is presented by Jody Jones, DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after general and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. Jody has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many athletes, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate service to all of his patients. Jody never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Special thanks to Jody for being the title sponsor of this season. Braden Gall appears on our guest line, which is presented to you by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates. Scott and Missy Tannen had no clue how comfortable sheets could be until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Use the promo code VANDY. And get $50 off your first set of sheets. Today's news presented to you by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Vanderbilt opens its football season on Saturday, 6.30 p.m. Central in College Station. Commodores take on Texas A&M. Braden Gall joins me today. Braden has been a friend of mine for, has it been like 15 years now? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it has. I'll, I'll, I don't want to bring up probably the first night we uh, hung out at a sporting event because it probably is a bad memory for most Vanderbilt fans. It involves a backup Michigan catcher. I won't bring that up, though. Was that the first time? It, it, it might have been. I, I remember being at that game. That maybe the, Actually, you know what? I take it back. It was a great memory because it was the Friday night game. When was it Sean Kelly for Austin P? Yes. Pitched the gem against David Price. That was one of the best pitched games I have ever seen in my entire life. And uh, one of the first times I've ever been to a, you know, a, a, a postseason baseball game in college as a fan. I'd been to a few at, at my alma mater watching Lou Cochaver in a super regional, but I had never been as a sort of a professional. And I think that's where I met you. And I think we've sort of been baseball nerdy buddies and yes. <laughs> tournament friends ever since. So. Yeah, we have. And that was a – Vandy fans are going to view this differently. But I thought that that weekend and that series, just from a storyline and a journalistic standpoint and quality of play, was about the best thing I have ever covered. It, it was up there. That I just remember – and, again, I don't have it in front of me. I don't have the box score. But I want to didn't, – didn't David Price pitch into the 10th? Didn't Kelly pitch a complete game as well? Like, that was just – Mm-hmm. An unbelievable matchup and obviously didn't end the way people want want it to. But if you think about it in the big picture, to your point, it really was the start. Like you can kind of point to that as the start of this unbelievable run Tim Corbin's been on. So, I, I you know, Preds fans in this market will – I will say – I'll compare it to Preds fans. You know, the way they showed up for the Stanley Cup final, even though they lost – was the, was the kickoff to the entire thing that is now the Nashville Predators that now gets national coverage. And so you don't have to always win the, the, the game for it to have a ton of meaning. So I, I don't know, just I'm with you. That's such a memory that's like the starting point of Vander, Vandy boys and Vandy baseball and like the whole ethos that is, you know, arguably one of the best programs, if not the best program in the country right now. Well, and there was sort of a media magnetism in that series because there were a lot of people there from the local media that not – or not normally there. And I think that if you watched it that year and fall, it start to finish that storyline sort of sucked us all in. Uh, and, and everybody loves Tim Corbin. Everybody felt terribly for him. You know, and you had price was a big story and was going to be the first pick in the draft. What was it the, the next week? And it was really, I think that's really when they started building their brand was that weekend, even though it yeah. didn't end well. 
Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I know we're going to talk football, but uh, yeah, I think that's probably the first weekend that I spent some like professional time with you. And I know that we had, you know, I'd worked at Rivals before that point and, or maybe I was still working at Rivals, I guess at the time. And, and so, you know, we were technically pseudo colleagues at that point. And, and I, like I said, I just, uh, I've respected your work for a long time. It's why I want you on the network. It's why Vandy sports is now a part of what I'm doing at 440 sports, which we'll get to in a second. But, um, I, I think you guys do a great job covering the team and, and all the teams for Vanderbilt and, uh, happy to be here and happy to be talking SEC football. I don't, you know, whatever happens this weekend, it's, it's just nice to have it back. Well, we'll get to your venture right now, but in an alternate universe where either of us have any free time, we'll do a National League fantasy baseball podcast one day, I'm confident. Say that again for me. I said in an alternate universe where either of us have any spare time, which neither of us do, uh, we'll, do a, <laughs> we'll do a National League fantasy baseball podcast one day, I'm yes. very confident. Yes, of just, of just prospects. Um, just, just prospects. Uh, no, you know, I would love to get Adley Rutschman, but it's just not going to happen. So. No, it's not going to happen. I was, I was hoping Austin <laughs> Martin would get um, <laughs> yeah. drafted by a National League franchise, but I was very disappointed. But anyway, yep. Um, yep. well, let's talk about your venture. I'm excited to be part of what you're doing at 440 Sports and tell the audience about that because we have a lot of people in our audience who follow the Preds, follow the Titans, other things. And I think what you're doing is a really cool idea, and I'm honored to be a part of it. Well, thank you, and it means a lot coming from you. I, I think when I when I set out on this journey, I just was looking at Nashville sports in general and just seeing a lot of uh, underserved fans in a market where the, the city is growing at, at, at ridiculous rates, but I don't think the media industrial complex is sort of growing at the same pace. And I think, you know, while legacy media is important to have in a market, there's plenty of that in this town. I think the people that are doing the best stuff are, are people like you and, and, and the people that I've partnered with that are on this sort of digital freelance roller coaster where we get to do it because we a love it, but B because we think fans deserve something a little bit more nuanced, more in depth, more thoughtful, more diverse. Those are sort of the thing more authentic, frankly, you know, you know, 440 sports is, is founded on authenticity. It is founded on being unapologetic about our opinions, having freedom of thought and diversity of thought and, and, and really just creating a community of people that are really passionate about a subject, right? For, for this show, it's Vanderbilt athletics. And for uh, another show, the gold standard, a podcast that I'm doing with the athletics, Adam Vingen, it's about the Nashville predators. It's about predators hockey. And so it's going to be a community of fans that just, are, are so obsessed with this one topic, this one subject that we, we sort of just all get to experience it together and, and be thoughtful about it. We don't have to, you know, yell and scream about everything. I, I just think legacy media has so much infrastructure baked into the experience as a fan that you don't, it, it doesn't allow people to sort of be themselves and, and have time to be deep in the weeds and be nerdy and be analytical and be fun and be creative. It, it, it puts these guardrails on, on people. It doesn't mean there's not great people doing good work in this town that work really hard. There are at, at those companies. Um, and I've worked for a bunch of them, but it's, this is sort of my chance to have no bosses and say what I want to say and talk to the people and, and build communities of people that I, you know, have a ton of respect for and, and hopefully vice versa. And you're one of them. 440sports.com is the website. I think, you know, this is the best Vanderbilt athletics show in the market. I don't think anybody covers it better than you. And that's why you're one of my first phone calls was, Hey, I want you on this platform. I want to make sure we're covering Vanderbilt in the best possible way at 440 sports. And I think VandySports.com and what you guys do is the best way to do that. Just like I think with the Titans, Broadway sports media is a partner and Broadway sports media is bringing, you know, seven shows onto the platform. We have 12 shows right now. We've got an sec football show as well. Uh, called the fringe element rate review and subscribe to all of these i'm doing a daily show that's uh you know less than 10 minutes every morning on your phone to keep you up to date on sort of the biggest stories in nashville sports and around the area so that you're kind of caught up on your on your way into work or your way into your zoom call or your way into your office whatever um, but that's every morning before 5 a.m less than 10 minutes super digestible uh, just having a little fun every morning trying to get you started every day so it's again it's it's not gonna be like anything you've ever consumed i don't think we're gonna have a lot of weird and unique cool stuff coming and uh stay tuned right review and subscribe and really proud to have have you in your audience
right? We froze there for a minute. Yeah, it's the second time it's done that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, anyway, uh, on we go. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything you're going to do, but I think your network and influence of coverage will probably get bigger before it shrinks. Well, that's, that's very kind of you. And that's the goal. <laughs> um, and like I said, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a sports network. It doesn't mean we're not going to venture outside of sports into, you know, food, let's say, I don't know, maybe some booze, maybe some drinking, some music. I mean, this is a, this is a great town. So uh, we've got a lot of culture in this town and uh, I'd like to, to build, again, it's about building a community and of people that care about the same stuff and, you know, we can disagree, but like, we're all going to be in it because we love the same thing. And whether that's the Titans or the Preds or Vandy, the SEC, we're doing a media show about media. I think people are going to be intrigued by that because no one else in the market is doing that. So we're going to do a show where, where Steve Cavendish and I talk about, it's a sports and media show about sports and media. So I, I think, again, to, to sort of explain more of this stuff in more detail with a lot of guests and a lot of people that are doing creative things out there in the Nashville market. So uh, I'm really hopeful that it, that people uh, find what they're looking for, customize their listening experience, and 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 get to enjoy their sports and sort of a, I don't know, it's not it's not vintage or retro, but you know, podcasts are, are so intimate, and it's a mm -hmm. place where you know you can, you you just get to be a sports fan again, like you're sitting with your buddy talking about your favorite team at the bar. It, it's not you know, it doesn't have to be hot takes and screaming at each other, you know, I, and I think people want that right now. Let's talk Vandy and its brand, particularly in football. I mean, I was talking about this with Mark Howard on, I guess it was Wednesday. And I remember, I live in Franklin, right? I live right on that Cool Springs, Franklin border there. And I remember 2013, 2014, I was blown away with just how much Vandy gear I saw in this area. It's probably the first time in my life where I saw more Vandy gear than I saw Tennessee gear in our area of town. And, you saw it everywhere. You, I could not go to Lowe's or Kroger or anywhere without seeing somebody wearing a Vandy hat or a Vandy shirt or something like that. Uh, and baseball has had a lot to do with it. But let's face it, football is always big dog, even at a place like Vandy. And it just saddens me to see what has happened with that brand, with all the cachet that they had right around that time, 2012, 2013 to now and it just feels like they have just fallen off a cliff almost i don't remember you'd be able to tell me this the the jeff taylor ogilvy teams yep. is that about the same time so even that was a little bit before before yeah. that so but even point being that there was some momentum around those teams um i, I actually didn't they beat a Anthony Davis in the SEC championship game, I want to say, and that would have been 2012, right? 11 or 12, I should know yeah. this, but yeah. I mean, and, and let me interrupt you. I wrote a book right around 2014, right after they won the College World Series, I published a book, and, and basically it was about the golden age of sports. Yeah. And, and almost from, maybe it's like the curse of the billion, almost from the moment I wrote that book, <laughs> other than baseball, and even that had a couple of, rough years with the Donnie Everett thing for reasons everybody can understand. Sure. It's almost like, almost like from that summer on after they won that baseball title. I mean, no, it wasn't exactly like that because in 15, they were back and were one game away from repeating, but football fell off basketball. They've not won a tournament game since then. Yeah. It's really sad to see how far it has fallen. And you know, as well as I do, you go to games out there, that fan base is so old. I just am starting to get really concerned for them that they can't get a lot of this back. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating discussion because you're right. I'm just glad we found out the reason and, and who we can blame. It's not, right. the, it's not the academics wing of Vanderbilt that's not investing money. It's not that. That's not the problem. It's actually you and your book. I'm just glad right. we finally got to the bottom of it. But you're right. I mean, you know, national championship, which actually, funny story, because I've got so many, I've got a lot of Andy fans in my wife's family. Um, season ticket holders. In fact, James Franklin went and visited, you know, when my wife, when I were dating, James Franklin went and visited her grandfather in the hospital when he was dealing with something really sick. And um, I've never really told that story publicly. I spoke to him about it and thanked him personally. He didn't have to do that. Um, but right around that, like, so I had a lot, point being, I had a lot of Vandy sort of in, in, in my, my um, atmosphere with my wife's family. She's, she like me went to the, the other SEC school in the state. So we'll keep that 
uh, quiet, but there's a lot of love for, for Vanderbilt in, in her family. And so we actually got engaged. This is another, we actually got engaged in during game two against Virginia, the one they lost because that's when we're always at the beach with her family. And I had to like pull her away to go walk on the beach and propose. I was terrified. And I, I came back and she had said, yes, this is a true story. She had said, yes. And we came back up onto the pool deck and had to finish the last, this is how much Vandy fans are in my family in the in-laws. We had to wait like two more innings <laughs> before we told anybody that we were engaged. Like this is, you know, you run back to your family and you say, guys, oh my gosh, she asked me to marry me and we're getting engaged. She sat there with her, not even joking, sat there with her hand in her pocket and with the ring on her finger, hand in her pocket because she wanted to make sure that everyone got to see the end of game two. And of course they win the national championship the following day on, on Wednesday. So we, you know, it was a big celebration. We had to wait until the end of the game to tell her whole family that we had gotten engaged like 30 minutes earlier on the beach. So uh, long story short, that being the heyday and that being how good everything was with that with those programs, it's just a, a stark reminder of where they are today. And and while the baseball program is maybe even better today, which is really astonishing considering what we just talked about, you know the other programs, it, it's I, it's hard to look at the James Franklin thing and just say, yeah, do that again. Like you can't you can't just recreate it. It's that's a once in a hundred year type of thing that happened. But even then. He was begging people to come to games to, to sell that stadium out, and it wasn't happening. And so it, there, it, there's just always going to be that battle um, with the fan base, trying to get people to, to buy in. When you, when you have a really small fan base that cares about curing cancer and fighting civil rights lawsuits, like that's the student body. And that's just always going to be a, an inherent struggle for students and for alumni. It's just a small, small alumni base relative to the rest of the SEC. What they do have is all of this money in the other side of the, the campus. That's, that's the advantage that Vanderbilt has over other schools in the SEC. They li- they, they're in Nashville. You've got to capitalize on, on Nashville's growing talent. And I think to some degree, Derek Mason has done a little bit of that by getting some players that are sort of in the area to come play. Um, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn, for example, I know he went to Illinois, but those guys that are local, you've got to capitalize on the growing talent sphere in the middle Tennessee area. There are things to sell. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's all lined up right now. And, and that's, um, I don't think, you know, that's not breaking news to, to Vanderbilt fans. So. I would be remiss before we go further. I got to ask, was her family more excited about the engagement or Adam Ravenel <laughs> getting the strikeout to end that? Well, it was, it was, it was the game they lost. So definitely oh, okay. the engage, okay. it was definitely the engagement. Um, okay. But the following night. So, so again, it's a mix. It's, it's sort of a half Tennessee, half Vanderbilt family with like a Georgia fan and an Alabama fan sprinkled in, you know, but you know, her grandfather was, you know, season ticket holder to, to Vandy baseball and football and basketball, her whole, his whole, his whole life, her uncle's a, a Vandy guy, her, her other uncle's a Vandy guy. So it, her dad's more of a Tennessee guy. So it's, again, it's a, it's a mix, but we were all rooting for, for Vanderbilt. Like we were all polling for, for Vanderbilt in that situation, not only because, you know, I personally had had interacted with Tim Corbin a bunch. So it's easy to root for a man like that. Um, even as a Tennessee alumni, I, I was totally rooting for Vanderbilt as a Nashvilleian. So it was, it was definitely a celebration the next night. Um, it, so I think your question is, is what did the family celebrate more, getting engaged or, or the, the Vandy championship? And I think it's probably split. Um, the, the mom and the dad, uh, who are not Vandy people, were way more excited about their daughter getting engaged. Uh, the uncles were probably more excited about the Vandy championship, for sure. Well... And you bring up an interesting point because I, I found this, and you know, I'm sure Tennessee fans that are this way, and I know Tennessee fans and Alabama fans, that brand transcends school loyalties. I know people that are that root for other teams in football that pull for them in baseball because of what he's done. Right. Well, and I, you know, this is sort of turning into a trip down memory lane rather than a preview of the SEC this weekend, but I, I do think there's so many interesting angles to this for Vanderbilt people. I, I, I mean, I was already a huge Tim Corbin fan personally ever since the day I first interacted with the guy, but I, I was, and I think you were there too. There was maybe five of us there. Um, you know, and I think Kaylee Hartung was working for ESPN at the time uh, and was, had, and had shown up real quickly to be at the game. But I, I think it was the day after Donnie Everett passed and, 
you know, we, we all went in. There was about five of us that went into that. We waited and waited and waited. The game was pushed off. It was rain delay. And Tim Corbin waited around to do a press conference specifically about losing a player than, than anything else related to the, the, the thing he was about to do as a professional play in a, a regional. I want to say it was Washington. Maybe they were playing. And he, he sat down there and he answered questions about losing a young person. And I'm not sure I've ever seen a man or a person do anything like that. Um, being 10 feet away from him and watching him do that was one of the most like internal strength, mental toughness type of deals that I've ever seen from anybody. Like I'm getting, you know, like the hairs are standing up on the back of my neck right now. So I think that's what solidified it is just sitting there going, Oh my God, this, this guy is next level when it comes to the commitment to the people around him, what he says he means. Um, And so I think you're right. It's there's something bigger than just, team loyalty with him I think that it's about Tim Corbin it's about what he's built it's about the brand it's about the identity the culture all these cheesy cliche words that we use to describe sports it's all true with him and uh it obviously shows it helps when you have like a secret pitching lab you know that nobody else has got but you know like it it shows and he's built that from scratch like off off, out of the ground out of the dirt he built that and uh it's because of who he is and and I have unbelievable levels of respect for that guy for sure well and this is where we will start the transition to football I do not understand and and again it makes me think they just don't care it's like they have the perfect model in front of them of how to do anything and everything they would ever want to do in sports and like it has zero translation to anything else on that campus it seems like I, I do find that to be a fascinating angle to this because I don't, I think you're probably right. You should be learning a lot more from what baseball is doing. There's no question. But it also costs a lot less money to be the best in college baseball than it does to be the best in college football. Like one of them is, you know, five, $10 million, $20 million maybe. The other one is hundreds of millions of dollars every year is what it costs to be Alabama or Ohio State or whatever in football. And I don't think Vanderbilt fans expect to be even that. I think six and six and seven and five, eight and four occasionally, and and being a winning competitive football program, I think is really a very reasonable expectation. And with some level of commitment, studying what baseball has done, I don't think that that's really out of the question. I mean, again, you have some baked in disadvantages. There's no question about that, but you also have some advantages and you're not really leveraging those to their fullest potential right now. And, you know, you've probably covered this like a hundred million times. (laughs) So there's no reason to, for me to go down this path, but yeah, I mean, if you study, if you took Vandy baseball's, you know, game plan, they're, 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 you know, Tim Corbin's, you know, hundred, hundred rules for success or whatever. You take that, and then you, you, you put some Alabama level resources to the football program, which again, I don't necessarily think that's the right move, but maybe half of Alabama's level of resources, let's say they have it. It's just about what's the the smart ROI here. Well, you you should be able to be competitive and. And let's also be clear on this too. The big time programs that spend boatloads of cash, they make a bunch of terrible decisions too. Mm-hmm. So it's not all about just commitment and financial resources. It's about people making good decisions. And Tennessee, no, no great program in America is immune to bad decisions. Alabama hired Mike Price. So uh, you, you can't, you know, Tennessee has hired bad people for a decade now and it has cost them. Now, everybody believes in Tennessee people believe in Philip Fulmer and Jeremy Pruitt, and, and we'll find out if it's real or not. But at the end of the day, when you hire bad ADs, you have bad presidents, you have boosters making decisions behind the scenes, and you hire bad coaches, you're not going to be good. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the financial resources. It's also really smart people having to make really tough decisions and getting those decisions right. And you took a chance on James Franklin. I mean, James Franklin was not a a surefire, let's do this, and he's an obvious choice. That's not what he was. And, and he became the most successful coach in the modern era at, at Vanderbilt. So it's, it's not just about resources. It's also about b- making really good choices. And, you know, being an AD is hard. <laughs> well, I contend you, you can take the cream of the crop leaders, Tim Corbin, James Franklin, Nick Saban, whoever, you know, NADs that way too. You could drop them in the SWAC or the MEAC, and they would figure out – now, they might not be national powers, but they would figure out how to win the league and take those programs beyond what anybody ever suspected. Yes. Co- coaching and administrating, if, that's a, if those are the, the two things I'm, that we're getting at here, 
the lower tiers, the lower you go, the more influence you have. You know, it's why it's easier to be a head coach in in the Sun Belt than it is in, um, you know, the SEC. You, you're you have just like it's easier to be a coach in the SEC than it is to be a head coach in the NFL because when the talent gaps and the talent disparities get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, that's when it becomes the margin for error gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's why coaching in the NFL to me is basically just, I don't know how people do it, frankly, (laughs) frankly, it's just, it's just so hard. And in the sec, it is the hardest place to coach in college football period. Like Ohio's like Ohio state's a great program. I think you and I could coach Ohio state to eight or nine or 10 wins. Like it's just not, they're the most recession proof program in America. They've, Big, the Big Ten doesn't have an SEC problem. They have an Ohio State problem. Right. And so Vanderbilt has, again, a lot of disadvantages that no matter how much they spend and no matter how many good people they hire, there's going to be some disadvantages that are baked in. And that is sort of the nature of college football, right? Like Kansas State can't just move its campus to Texas and all of a sudden have a better recruiting base. It, it just can't. Um, and so, you know, passionate fans, dedicated, large, massive, huge alumni bases, that's something that, you know, Texas A&M is going to have that Texas has that Ohio state's going to have, you just, you know, you're not always going to have that with uh, a school like Vanderbilt. So you've got to figure out ways to overcome those disadvantages. And and that is right now you look at their endowment and I'm not a fiduciary. So I don't, you know, I'm sure there's all kinds of rules and restrictions and regulations on how to access money, but they've got as much money as anybody else in the sec. And so we know that. And so it's about, again, it's about how do you use that money smartly to hire the right people to make the right decisions and let's be very clear, it is the most difficult place to win in, mm-hmm. in football in the SEC. It's not even close. It is the, like, I, I look at the Big Ten, let's say Mississippi State or South Carolina or something like that, Kentucky even, are like sort of the quote unquote, the bad jobs in the mm-hmm. SEC. Well, they got 50, 60,000 strong. South Carolina has 85,000 strong showing up to watch crap. Yeah. <laughs> like South Carolina fans have shown up. 80,000 people for like 50 years and they haven't won anything ever and they still show up and they Mm -hmm. still come because the passion is there that compare that to the big 10 or the ACC. And you, you start talking about the 10th, 11th, 12th best programs in those leagues. No, nobody's going to those games. Nobody's like North, like Northwestern, Illinois, Boston college. These programs aren't, aren't generating tons of, of interest from fans and getting huge, you know, fans at their stadiums. And and so it's easier to move. Even in the Big Ten and the ACC, it's easier to move up. That's why Pat Fitzgerald has done such a good job at Northwestern because it's easier to to compete. And and so it's you got to be honest with yourself. It's it's incredibly difficult to compete in the SEC, and that's not that's not new information. Let's talk Vandy. Uh, two storylines of interest. I think on offense, Ken Seals, I think is going to be an outstanding player for them potentially if the system doesn't get him first. I mean, he's not going to have any protection. I don't know if they have a running game. I think he's a very confident kid. I think he's a good leader. But you have to worry any time a kid has got a shot to get his head beat in for 10 games. I mean, let's just be honest. I think that they've got a great quarterback if he can survive this year. And the future face of their program, and I don't think it's just the physical stuff. I think he's a leader and the between-the-year stuff. I hope I'm right. I guess we'll find out a little bit more in about 24 hours. But – um, the dynamic of him running that offense as a true freshman quarterback, someone asked me, like, do you ever remember Vanderbilt having a true freshman taking the first snap? And my time following that program goes back to the, the early 80s, late 70s, when I was just a little, little kid. I think this guy will be the first true freshman to take a snap for them if he comes out as expected at AM, uh, the opening snap of the season. I just think that dynamic is very interesting in terms of where that goes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the concept of having a true freshman, you know, early enrollee who, you know, looks the part, you know, he's not a 5'11", you know, 195-pounder, right? This guy's 6'2", 6'3", 200 pounds, like he looks the part. And, 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 and is, if he wins the job, which it seems like he has, and he's the guy, uh, there's a – there's an old adage about like breaking the confidence of a young player. And I, I used to sort of subscribe to that. I think I'm, I think I've switched it, you know, over the course of my career on that. I think if you are a true freshman quarterback, every rep is a good rep. Mm-hmm. Even if you are mentally exhausted at the end of it and you, you know, maybe you threw too many bad balls and you threw a couple of picks, made a couple of bad decisions. Like I still think that's all learning opportunity for college quarterbacks. Now the physical side of it's different, right? Mm-hmm. The physical side of it is, you know, 
like, yes, you can get too many concussions and too many knee injuries to where you can't play anymore. Like that's certainly a huge concern for college athletes, especially in football. But I don't think I'm sort of, I'm anti-confidence concern anymore. Like I'm kind of against that narrative that you can throw a kid out there too early. And if he plays poorly, well, you know, his confidence is going to get shot. Well, if his confidence is shot from throwing a couple of bad passes and he doesn't belong as your starting quarterback anyway. So I, I think that, you know, all these kids, they go everywhere in the SEC. They're extremely competitive. They all want to be the star. They all want to be the guy. And you don't come to the SEC to play quarterback because you, you're soft, right? Like, <laughs> it's not, it's, that's not, that's not the, the role. You don't sign up for that when you come to this league. And so I think it's great. Like, to me, one of the few things I'm genuinely excited about, if I'm a Vanderbilt fan, is having a guy that could start from the beginning of his career with live bullets and live fire and live – you know, defensive reps from the word go. Now, is it ideal during a pandemic with no camp and all this other stuff? No, of course not. That's terrible. <laughs> but, but, and going on the road to Texas A&M in your first ever situation is really not that ideal either. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter if you learn from every rep you take. And that means he's got a chance to be a really good player by the end of his sophomore season, a, a great player by his junior year, and maybe a fantastic player by his senior year, should, should it all play out. So I think that's one of the things I'm genuinely excited to watch in that game uh, on Saturday is, is, you know, what does Ken Seals look like? And, and if he's clearly the guy, I'd be very excited, regardless of the outcome of the game on Saturday. Well, the guy that proves your theory, I think, is Jay Cutler. I don't know if you remember his debut against Georgia Tech, but he got knocked down like a, a rag doll. I think he got sacked six or eight times. I mean, and as bad as they are on offense this year, their offensive line was not any good then. Now, this one may be worse. But, like, I look around and I'm trying to think of who his receivers were. I don't think he had a Cam Johnson – uh, on that team. So, I mean, you know, the running game, I don't even know who their running back was then. I mean, they've got a couple of kids. Uh, Javen Morrow is a kid I've watched for a while. I mean, look, we are, we're nitpicking here, right? Because I don't sure. think they're going to be good on offense, and I don't think anybody does. But it is – that's the scenario that, that pops in my head when you say all that is Cutler went through it, and it didn't kill him, which is one reason I had so much respect for him. And uh, yeah, there are examples that prove your theory there. Yeah, not that anything in the world could shake Jay Cutler's confidence, um, but <laughs> I mean, that that guy uh, it just assumes and and just exudes confidence at all times. The greatest reality television star in the history of TV, by the way. Um, I, I I agree. Again, it's all about what's the harm to a player playing all these games and learning all these lessons. And this year's going to be hard. Like it's going to be hard for every team in the SEC. 10 games is disgusting. Like it's so hard. I can't wait as a fan to watch it all because it's going to be like world war one, you know, trench style warfare where it's just survival of the fittest. Whoever's got the the most dudes standing at the end of the season is going to win. I think Alabama's by far the best team and they may lose twice. So I just think it's going to be a really, really tough season for everybody. Ten conference games, people are going to be on in wheelchairs and on crutches by the end of the year. It's, it's not going to be pretty. So it's a tough, tough season. But I don't think mentally there's anything wrong with, with going through the bumps and bruises of a, of a tough first season. I just don't think that there's – again, if, that, if that's what kills you and crushes you and destroys your career and ruins your – like then you probably weren't cut out for it. And I don't mean to say that in a – evil mean-spirited way it's just sort of a, a cynical reality mm-hmm. um, just to look at it if, if you know there's there's very few like like Marcus Mariota here in town's interesting mentally he, he you know he's an extraordinarily tough dude mentally physically I think his body was broken down I don't I don't think mentally he ever had a problem I think physically his body broke down and that could be a concern for a young player but you know these these, these guys that are broken mentally because they've had a few bad games like that that, that's that, <laughs> you're not cut out for the SEC then. Well, that's, that's what separates QB one from everyone else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I know I've made this point already, but I just think it's it's every moment he's out on the field this year is going to be uh, there's value, there's value there to be had, and that means learning and growing and developing, and that will help him next year. That'll help him next week. That'll that'll help him in three years, and and so I I think it's. Again, we're trying to find like what what are the things you're excited about? That is absolutely at the top of the list for me as a unbiased sort of objective observer of all SEC teams. The thing that I'm looking at the most is going to be what he looks like on on Saturday. I want to take a sidebar for a minute before we talk defense because I think this 10 game season is fascinating, um, and, and I think you could argue both ways. I'm very interested to hear your opinion because I think on one hand, 
and look, this is going to be minimized a bit because it's weird and people are missing games and opting out. But I think the 10-game season is fascinating in itself because, let's face it, everybody wants to see more of Alabama and Georgia and less of Alabama and Furman, right? Uh, I, I think everybody would agree that. Now, you have the effects of those programs. That's another conversation. But I think that if the season goes well and it ends up being compelling – and let's face it, when you've got an eight-game schedule, there's a randomness to it that can determine your champion, right? Because sure. if you're in the East and you don't catch, say, Auburn, Alabama, LSU one year, you've got a huge advantage over someone who does. LSU I, this year. I yeah. Mean, LSU this year. Everybody was screaming about how there's a big Bama bias in the, in the conference offices. No, no, no. It's LSU that got the break this year. They don't play three of the top four teams from the East. So they play Florida. They don't play Georgia. They don't play Tennessee. They don't play Kentucky. Alabama plays almost all of them uh, with the exception of Florida. So again, I'm with you. Now I would, I kind of cut you off there. So I'm sure you had another another question. I I just, I'm so anti-division. Like I think there's, get rid of divisions. I'm pro 10 game schedule. I don't think it'll ever happen again. So that's kind of why I tell people to enjoy it while while it's here, because I don't think they're ever going to go to a 10 game schedule. I would love to see it though. Um, But in this league, it's, it's almost asking too much of the athletes unless you're going to start paying them a lot more money. Um, so it, it's, I'm with you. It's awesome. It's fascinating. It's magnificent. I can't like, there are six, there's six to seven teams that probably think that they, they can win their division and, and maybe five or six of them that actually think that they could get to a legitimate run to the playoff. And that maybe doesn't even include Auburn um, or, or Tennessee, frankly. And, they're all going to play each other. Like, that's awesome. I mean, if you're an SEC football fan, this is as good a slate as you're ever going to get. I just don't think it's going to happen again. Um, but I would, get, I would do 10 conference games and get rid of divisions, and that's how I would do it. And that way you guarantee, to your point about the balance, that way you guarantee I want the, the first and second best teams in the league to play in Atlanta for the championship. I don't care what, what side of the division you're in. I don't care what your schedule was. One and two should play in Atlanta. Now that might work out this year. You know, Florida or Georgia might be the second best team. In fact, I would argue they probably are right now, the second and third best teams in the league behind Alabama. But I, I, you know, the, what the the ACC model has shown it that if you get rid of divisions and you put it all together, the chaos and the fun just it, you can just see it. And and so I, I would I was hoping for the SEC to do that. I I, I knew they weren't, but I, I'm with you. It is awesome. I'm going to enjoy every second of it because I don't think it's going to happen again. Well, and I don't think I take any issue with anything you said, but let's just play devil's advocate for a minute, okay? Sure. Let's say you get into this season and they figure out from a revenue standpoint that Alabama playing whoever from the East is worth $5 million more a week than them playing <laughs> Furman or the Citadel and multiply that times whatever. Um, is there a point where the money screams loud enough to where they get dragged into this kicking and screaming? I am hopeful that that is true. Me too. Um, as a fan <laughs> of the 10-game thing. And, and frankly, Greg Byrne, the athletic director for Alabama, has come out and said this. This, this was pre-pandemic. He, he said, we, are, we, we have a total paradigm shift in scheduling. And it's why you were seeing Alabama scheduling these home-and-homes with Ohio State and with Penn State and these, Oklahoma, these big teams because they know where are they going to make money. And the two places you make money the most in a college athletics program are your TV partners and your, and your game day ticket sales. You are not going to make as much money playing, you know, Sister Mary's School for the Blind as you are as you're going to be playing Ohio State. That's just the, yeah. the facts of the matter. The, the television dollars that you could, you could go to your TV partners and say, hey, we're going to play nine conference games. So let's, like you said, let's ease it in a little bit. Let's play nine conference games and we're going to play two Power 5 opponents and one G5 opponent. And the, and the first week of the year, we're going to get the G5. Then we're going to play two power fives or whatever. If you can go to your TV partners and say, look, I'm going to play nine conference games and I'm going to play Ohio State. I got Oklahoma on the schedule. I'm going to do a home and home with USC. I'm going to do, you know, whatever. You're going to command a much higher price. Mm-hmm. And the games themselves, obviously being bigger and better, you're going to draw more fans and more dollars and more tailgating and more revenue for your economy locally, all that stuff. So it's, very, it's a very clear economic decision. That and and again, Alabama's on the front end of this because they can be just like Nick Saban can allow somebody to come into his program and study all of his testing the way yeah. nobody else in the SEC is allowing. Great story on by, by Chris Lowe on ESPN. 
Nick Saban can be ahead of all of this stuff because he's got the best team, the best program in America. So he can afford to do it. And I, I hope people decide to, to look at what he's doing and say yeah, that I, I hope that the money finally works for fans. <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. Normally the money aspect of all of this doesn't ever work for the little guy like us watching the games. But I think this is one of those few times where the, 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 the economic forces at play are going to create better football games for everybody. And I think that's a, you know, as a fan, that's a good thing. So what I hear you saying is we all need to be rooting for another pandemic. Oh God, bless Chris. <laughs> Holy smokes. You just made, I almost, I almost dropped a few words. I shouldn't say on the, on the air, only on 440 sports. Do we say those words? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, <laughs> not, not what I'm, not what I'm rooting for at all. After a tornado hit my daycare and, yeah, no, no. 2020 can can uh, go kick some rocks. That, that was a joke, people, just to anyone yeah, who's yeah. wondering, but yes. Uh, <laughs> I needed that laugh. Uh, yes, I think we all did. Defensively, I was writing the preview of their linebackers this week, and it sort of occurred to me for the first time that there's a little bit of an underrated storyline there for them. Let's start with um, Dimitri Moore, whose name started popping up in first rounds of mock drafts which you and I know how worthless those are. I was floored, but that tells you that there's a buzz on out on him out there with someone and people believe he's talent. Uh, Andre Mintz was a third team preseason all SEC pick. I think he graded by pro football focus as their best or second best defender last year it was either him or Jalen Mahoney, but either way he played well last year, according to experts. Um, He's going to be an edge piece for them. I think he'll flourish in what Ted Roof is going to try to do with their defense. They've out, had Allison Orgy sitting over on the scrap heap uh, for two years. Orgy was a top 100 recruit when he committed to them. That never happens. Uh, I think he got completely wasted under Jason Tarver. So I'm looking at their linebacking group, and I'm going, that's a pretty good foundation because I think Orgy can play. He's got a brother who's a four-star recruit who's in that group. You look at them all of a sudden, you say – that's not a half-bad bunch. You add a defensive coordinator in Ted Roof that I think we both respect and we think we know what he's doing. Look, I, this may be fantasy land, but if you're looking for a path for them to maybe surprise a little bit, I think that's where you start. I, I agree. And I think if you got Derek Mason, you know, with some truth serum and you said, you know, from a, physic, from a physical standpoint – where does this front seven stack up relative to the past, uh, you know, whatever, couple seasons? I, I think he might tell you, I, I think this is a, this is a more physically talented group than we've had probably since Zach Cunningham, probably. Um, if, if not, you know, more, maybe more complete even than, than that group. I know, I think Oren Burks is on that team too. Right. So um, it, it's, it's better than it's been in a couple of years from a complete standpoint, from a one to seven, looking at the front seven across the board, it's probably better than it's been. So, and you mentioned it, there's, there's a couple in second team, third team, all sec caliber guys on, on that front seven that you've mentioned. So I, I do think the old story of when, when is Derek Mason going to show his, you know, when does he become the old Derek Mason that he was at Stanford, where he was coaching up this dynamic defense and creating just wreaking havoc in the PAC 12. And he just never really has figured that out. And that's the, that is the biggest giant, like what the hell <laughs> kind of thing with the hire, because I think, you know, again, not to get into Derek Mason here, but you know, if you told me to, an SEC coach to come babysit my children tonight, who would I trust? Derek Mason would be my first call. Like, I'm not, you know, as far as the man, Derek Mason is the guy I would trust with my kids before anybody else in the SEC. But number two on that list should be, man, dude can coach defense, and yeah. it's we're still just waiting. And so I think Ted Roof is a guy that you have – there's a clear floor, and it's pretty high with Ted Roof because the guy's been around a million years coaching defense basically everywhere – and he knows what he's doing. And, it, it, you know, there may not be huge upside with him, but there's very little downside with Ted Roof. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of respect there. Combine that with sort of the, the maybe the most, again, I want to say most complete front seven relative to the last few seasons. You put those two things together, and I think you're right. That they're, along with the quarterback, that would be the other area where you go, okay, let's see what it looks like. Let's see how it, let's see how it works. Is it going to, you know, beat Florida or Georgia or Texas a &M? No. 
but let's let's see what it looks like. Let's see how it develops and let's see what it can do. And I think those are the two areas of the team that I'm interested to watch for sure. Well, there's a little bit of a parallel here, it occurs to me. You go back to 2014, his first year, where everybody's demoralized and you're looking and going, there, there is no hope going forward, right? And so what's he do? He gets rid of his defensive coordinator. He makes himself the defensive coordinator. Uh, they change some things, and they shaved, I think, 10 points a game off that year. I mean, that, that 2015 defense was actually pretty good. Now, that offense was about what I'm expecting this year. But point is, they That's got – no, it's not. But they got a ton more competitive on that side of the ball. Um, you know, they gave up, I think, 31 points a game, I think, in 14. No, they didn't give up as many yards, and their run defense wasn't as bad as it was last year. And I think that's where they could run into issues, although I think defensive line is going to help them. We'll talk about that briefly. But the point is, um, there is precedent for him being here not long ago. And, again, he changed coordinators to a guy that I think everybody likes and trusts. So. If we look up at the end of the season and we say, holy smokes, they were a lot better than we thought they were for whatever reason, I, I think it's not like we can't say that hasn't happened before. Yeah, and it's interesting just kind of thinking back through all the different coordinator changes that have happened on both sides of the ball since that time. You know, obviously hiring your buddy to run the offense was a bad decision, um, but I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect out of the Andy Ludwig hire, and it certainly was, as you mentioned, not all that great at the beginning. Um, but it very clearly, he very clearly showed progress and growth at that position. Now that's not what you're going to get at. Like Ted roof is what he is. Like you're not, you don't have to worry about learning on the job. And I think that's, you know, you're not in a position if you're Derek Mason to, to allow somebody or have the time to allow somebody to learn on the job and get better and hire a young and up and coming. You needed an established guy that could come in right away and make an impact and, and know what you're kind of going to get. And that's clearly what, what Ted roof's all about. So uh, I, I think from that standpoint, it's a it was a smart move for Derek Mason to do what he did. You know, I don't know. You know, is it delaying the inevitable? I don't know. But it, it is is this the best option with this collection of players to get the most out of them this year, right now? Probably. And and you can do a lot worse than Ted Roof. There's no question about that. Before we hit a couple of mailbag questions for you, any other storylines with this team that you think that are interesting to follow? Well, I, this is, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to be, um, what's the right word, delicate, respectful to the audience here. Um, I am rooting for Arkansas to go the, the winless route before Vanderbilt, 100%. I think Vandy can get a couple W's. I think Missouri, South Carolina are beatable. Um, I think there's some, some wins in there for Vanderbilt. So I, I think Vanderbilt can, can get a couple W's. So avoiding the 0-10 storyline, the only 0-10 teams in the history of the league is going to be an important thing for Arkansas fans, and, and that's a really proud program. Uh, I think they're in, in worse shape because their schedule might be even tougher. they got to play Florida and Georgia and crossover. So I think that's a, a, a storyline that I think outside the league people are looking at going, man, is this Arkansas team going to be that way? And does Vanderbilt, do they fall into that category? So I, I know that's a negative and I don't want to, I want to be respectful to the audience, but that, you know, this idea that a team could, could have 10 losses in an SEC conference, conference, conference season is, um, is a bizarre thing to add to the 2020 list. So I think Vanderbilt's going to win a couple games. I don't think they're in that category, but it's certainly something to watch. Uh, otherwise, it, it's, you know, like you said, Cam, the Cam Johnsons of the world, there's some nice pieces to keep an eye on to watch and, and, and enjoy, but it's all about the quarterback and the front seven for me. Those are the two that I'm interested to see. And if they can develop and hold up, then I think you can pick up a couple of W's. Um, but I don't think... You know, like you see, like we, we like we always talk about it. It's tough to look at this coach and this coaching staff and the situation in this roster and this schedule, and and be super optimistic. It's just hard, and and that's just trying to be honest as I can. So, well, the other thing too, right? They've lost a ton of players from last year. Yeah, guys that had potential to come back. Um, well, there were some offensive weapons on the on the team the last couple of years. Well, there were some offensive linemen <laughs> that aren't there. That's for sure. Well, yeah, and there, there was also that. But my my point is. I think they've lost over 20 people. Now, some of it's COVID-related, and I don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush because people may have their reasons right now. But it doesn't make you feel a lot better about morale to see that many kids dropping off before they even play a game. 
Yeah, I think, you know, if you're trying to find, you know, to me, it's it's about the quarterback and the things around the quarterback as well. So if you're looking for another option, I think if Todd Fitch opens up the offense, actually, if he actually does that and allows that to happen a little bit. And to your point about having a bad offensive line with a true freshman quarterback, getting the ball out of his hand fast is going to be critical. And so if he can, if they can design an offense that is a little more open, a little bit you know, more tempoed where you're getting rid of it quickly, get the ball, let those dudes get out there in space and do some stuff. You know, that, that's really what I'm, those are the kinds of things I would say, you know, from a schematic storyline standpoint, what are you looking for? And I'd like, you know, what, watching what Fitch's offense looks like with a freshman quarterback, you know, trying to navigate some of the, the, the weaknesses you can, you can coach around that stuff. You know, it's hard to do in a 10 game sec schedule, right? Like it's much easier when you're playing four non-conference games against some teams that you can talent wise, you might be better than. Um, And, and so it's just hard. It's just hard to do that in in a, in this 2020 schedule for everybody. Like I said, I think getting to six and four for good teams in this league is going to be hard. Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn, these are ranked top 20 football teams. And I think getting to six and four is going to be hard. So I think seven and three is a fantastic year. Eight and two is almost playoff good, right? So I just think even the best teams are going to struggle in a huge way this year because of how difficult the schedule is. And that doesn't bode well for the teams at the bottom. Well, I said I was going to try to keep you 30 minutes. I should have known better. Uh, and with that, <laughs> that's you my gotta, uh, no, it, it, this is great. But do you have uh, time for a couple of mailbag questions? Yeah, let's go. Okay, See? today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. This is a great question. Door King says, do you understand how the bowls will work this year? How many SEC teams will make bowls? And how will the conference-only schedule affect national title chances for SEC members? Uh, I'll start with the, the, the national championship angle. Um, I, I, don't, I think as long as enough teams have played enough games, right, um, I, I think that it's the, the, the committee can do its job and – you know, if it's eight games in the Big Ten and nine, let's say everybody gets one canceled in the SEC, just trying to be, you know, plan for the worst here, let's say, you know, it's nine in the SEC, it's eight or nine in the Big 12. I think as long as everybody's in the same range, I think the playoff committee can absolutely sit down, put together its list of, of top teams, evaluate these teams, um, and and put a playoff together. That's probably maybe even what we thought it was going to be back in April before the pandemic really we started ruining football, right? Like I, Oklahoma, Ohio state, Clemson, and Alabama were the picks in our magazine at Athlon sports back in April. I, I wouldn't change those four picks right now. I think the big 10 coming back is the biggest factor here is that it really probably ruined a chance for a second sec team to get in. If Florida or Georgia or LSU or A&M, even any of those four were to finish with one loss or two losses and be a top five, six, seven, eight team, I think you could argue that a second place SEC team deserved to be in the playoff over, you know, I know people are talking about the group of five, but like there's even less reason to put a group of five team in this year because they're not going to have any big time non-conference wins except for Louisiana who went on the road and beat Iowa state. So if Louisiana runs the table in the belt and has a, has a non-conference road win over Iowa state, maybe they look like they're worthy, but um, that, that would be my answer to the, um, the, the, the national championship question. Now, from a bowl game standpoint, uh, I don't have the updated schedule in front of me, but I think all the games are still slated to, to kind of go off, right? Like you've, you've got the, 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 um, the mortgage cure bowl there in Orlando. Like, I, I don't know how any of these games are going to work based on extenuating factors, right? Whether it's, are you limited by travel? Is there a second wave of the pandemic? Like I, I there's so many things, there's so many variables, I'd like to believe that if the the New Year's Six Bowls, you know, the the ties with um, not just the two playoff games, the Rose Bowl and the and the Sugar Bowl, which obviously SEC teams are expected to maybe be in, I'd like to think that they're flexible on the dates of those. That if the SEC championship game gets pushed back or the Big Ten title games get, gets pushed back because games need to be canceled or postponed or pushed back, that the that the committee 
and that the playoff would be flexible enough to move those back a week. I don't, I, I hope they don't stand on unnecessary ceremony to be like, Oh, the Rose bowl has to be played on the first or whatever. Uh, otherwise you still have what the, the citrus bowl, the outback bowl. Um, you still got all these bowl tie-ins that look like they're, they're there. And I think the the rule is just 500, right? You have to be, well, oh, I think they've relaxed the rule. I thought Brett McMurphy tweeted something out about you can go winless and go to a bowl this year. Oh, maybe that's true. I, I thought it had to be like it, I what I thought the original rule was you could be two and two, right? Like if they only play four games and you're two and two, you get to go to a bowl game. So they might have actually that was the last time I, I checked on that. Uh, I, I will I will in the interest of full disclosure, I am not a bowl game. I wa- I love watching them. I don't think that bowl games are all that important. They're basically yeah. paychecks. They're exhibition games. I, there, there's a reason players sit, sit them out. I am not a diehard, you know, I, I'm not a huge guy that cares about the bowls all that much. I will watch them all because it's great programming on TV during the holidays. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, let's get through the national, let's get to the college football playoff announcement. And that's what I care the most about. And then after that, I kind of just settle in and watch bowl games as they come. But I think everything is still scheduled to go off as it's supposed to. There might be some different criteria, different teams, different games, you know, that kind of stuff. Travel might be limited, fan access, all that stuff. But basically, it seems like it's still set up to, to, to generate some revenue for some people that, you know, play golf with all the conference commissioners. The funny part about this will be somebody that goes 2-8 and eight and makes a bowl, uh, if that's what happens, uh, you know, bragging about continuing a bowl streak or something like that or all, yeah, the, yeah. all the media relations talking points. Like, so. like, like Nebraska's uh, consecutive sellout streak, does it count? <laughs> if, if, right. you're, if you're only allowed to have, you know, eight, eight people oh, in stands. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, that, that's one of the most impressive things in sports because that's gone yeah. on since, what, the early 60s? Yeah, I want to say it's like 300-something, 350. I don't have it in front of me. 358 consecutive sellouts and i've been to that stadium it's big yeah <laughs> it's an it's, it's an impressive number for sure i uh married a nebraska grad i think the first game i ever went up there was when it was kind of starting to go downhill or a little bit and they almost got beat by ball state in their mm. own stadium and that was brutal. yeah it, it could have been brutal but they, they pulled that one out <laughs> but uh anyway uh let's see woody bu 66 says wish you were on morning radio still I enjoyed listening to someone who knows and loves college football. Wants to know how much you know about Ted Roof and Todd Fitch. I think they're both legitimate coordinators. Do you think they can overcome Mason's deficiencies as a head coach? Or is it too much to overcome uh, knowing that 0-10 is probable either way? We touched on those. And I think we're both on the same page with Roof. We didn't talk as much about Fitch. The word that I heard was that at Louisiana Tech, I think that uh, Skip Holtz had the controls to the play calling, and, and so that always makes it a little more difficult. But what little intel I got on him is he was pretty respected in the coaching world, so I don't know what you've heard there. Yeah, a lot of shotgun, a lot of three-wide, a lot of four-wide stuff at, at Louisiana Tech. But to your point, I'm always hesitant to jump all in on a guy when they're coaching for a head coach who's clearly got an angle, right, uh, of – you know, it's like it's like a Nick Saban defensive coordinator. I'm always a little, you know, I know Kirby Smart's the latest example, but I, I'm always a little skeptical of of a guy who not not skeptical. Um, there's more unknowns w- with a guy who comes from a coaching staff where his boss was probably the better coordinator or more accomplished coordinator on that side of the ball. So that's clearly a, a thing we just kind of need to learn. But if he still is bringing all those those same you know, philosophies, then yeah, we're talking shotgun, three wide, four wide, ball out quick, which is the way you negate the the offensive line weaknesses in the first place. So uh, I, I think that's, I think we talked a lot about Ted Roof and what he's going to do on the defense, but I, I think that's the intrigue to me is the offense. Does it look more open? Does it look more, I don't want to say modernized because it's, it's, you know, you can run the spread a thousand different ways. I think this particular team shouldn't be running the old like Tim Tebow, Cam Newton power spreads, right? Like this is yeah. not a, this team is not built to be like a Gus Malzahn power spread. It's, no. it's built to be more like a Mike Leach spread. And so I think it needs to be – you have to take advantage of those pieces and put them into the scheme the best way that they work. And if you've got a quarterback who's mentally smart enough to handle everything and physically good enough, I think you capitalize on that and you, and you let him distribute. And doing that quickly is how you stop a pass rush. So that, that, is, that's, that would be my um, look at what Todd Fitch could be offensively. Um, I am just as an aside, I, I am fascinated with what's happening in the NFL 
from a schematic standpoint with the way Cliff Kingsbury, Kyle Shanahan, Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, the way they are implementing new techniques into these spread offenses that sort of have this, it's almost retro vintage power football style. And again, I just got done saying that's not what I necessarily want to see from Vanderbilt, but there's so much eye candy, so much motion. What Kyler Murray's doing at Arizona, there's so much going on. You know, how modern is Todd Fitch really, right? Let's, let's, let's really see how, how unique and crazy it gets. And, and cause that might be what you need. Um, I've always believed that at programs like Vanderbilt or Missouri, that you, you sort of have to zig when everybody else is zagging. You, you can't try to do what Georgia and Florida and Tennessee yeah. and Alabama are doing because you're never going to have the same personnel. You got to try to do something different. And so if that's what he does, then I'm all for it. And, and, and thank you, by the way, for the, the, the nice comment. That was, uh, that was very nice. I appreciate that. Thank well, you. you were great. Nashville, the radio landscape has lost a lot of really good media people lately. And I hate that for our town. Well, we're back. And That's it's true. Called, and, it's called 440, and it's called 440 <laughs> Sports. And it, basically, it's a, it's a digital radio station. Um, you don't have to worry about a signal. You don't have to worry about picking up a, a frequency. You don't have to worry about what time, what show's on. You, this is the whole concept behind what I'm doing at 440 Sports is to, to give you the freedom and control to sort of pick and choose the subjects you care about the most, including Vandy Sports, and listen, listen whenever it fits your schedule. And never have to worry about signal or who's – talking who's hosting a show it's you get to pick and choose uh, as the listener and and it's a real again communal intimate experience and we got sec show we got pred show we got five six titan shows we got a vandy show we got a media show we got more stuff coming uh, to get to soccer and some other things as well so just uh, again that was kind of the point is um you know wh why why let you know when i was the host for a morning show like why let me control what you love and what you care about go listen to what you love and what you care about. And that's what the, the goal behind 440 Sports is, is to create that menu and, and let people choose what they want. Well, since you brought up Mike Leach, I can't let this go. You mentioned your babysitting list of SEC coaches and who you trust <laughs> with your kids. Where, where does he fit on that one? And maybe Lane Kiffin would be your bonus I was going to say the whole state of Mississippi might be at the bottom of the list. Um, I, I don't know. Leach might be fascinating to have as like, um, like an after-school after you know, daycare teacher, like he might, man, the lesson plans that dude would come up with would be fantastic though. I will give him, like, I will say no one else in the sec would like, they would all just pull out a dry erase board and they would just start drawing plays, you know, for kids like, Hey, Timmy, go over there. Hey, Bobby, go over there. Susie, you're back there. You know, this is what we call an umbrella defense. You know, like I could just, like, that's what all the coaches in the sec would be doing. You know, coach, I would have them doing up downs, you know, and, and like little three-year-olds they hit it, hit it, you know? at least Mike Leach would probably be doing like some weird history lesson, right? He'd be like, let's, let's really dive into, uh, you know, like let's really dive into the post civil war era in the South. And like, <laughs> you know, like he would have some crazy, you know, message le lesson plan for the kids. So I'll give him that. Like Lane, we all know what Lane would do. He just, you know, <laughs> whatever <laughs> he would just, he would just take the strap him to his chest and walk to the grocery store and say, Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> Well, with Leach, you know, you you could recoup your expense and then some. You could just video that whole thing and then oh god, put it out there, and the oh ratings would be great. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. Um, and now I'm thinking through the list. Like, I do think Will Muschamp gets a bad rap for being a hothead on the sidelines because he's not that way in real life. He's actually people genuinely think he's one yeah. of the better dudes um, in in college football. So I, I don't think know about him. You know. Pruitt's a little too intense for me, uh, for, for the kids. I think, um, Saban probably would be great. Like he probably yeah. would be fine. He, he just, you know, here, eat this oatmeal cream pie and listen to hotel California. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm trying to think, I, I don't know about Gus. I just can't see Gus being you know, like, no, Jimmy, Jimmy, we're going to run the ball left. Jimmy, we're going to run the ball. Right. Like he doesn't have much, although he's more of a personality outside of the media than he, than he is with the media. Um, you know, Mark Stoops is pretty good. He, he might be, yeah, he, he might be all right. It's just Derek, Derek Mason's by far the best of sure. the group. Like, uh, my kids will be better humans after spending time with Derek Mason after the babysit. That's all oh, I know. I think if Nick Saban babysat your kids, you might come back and the house would be vacuumed and the lawn would be mowed <laughs> and the dishes would be I'm clean. A, and my, my three and a half year old looks up at me, dad. I go, I go, honey, what are you doing? And she goes, trust the process, dad. 
<laughs> think it'd be like, like dad don't ever leave again please <laughs> exactly exactly I, I i saw a quote that they're the reason they've implemented so much stuff you know off the off the field for alabama so that they can be exactly the same on the field and i'm just going oh my god that's terrifying for everybody else if if, if during the pandemic the only team that is exactly the same on the field is alabama we're all in deep trouble everybody oh, else is it, they're they're just going to roll through people because they're already better from a talent perspective. So, good 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 luck to uh, Eli Drinkwitz in his debut this weekend. Exactly, Braden. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I have a feeling this won't be the last time we do this. Tell yeah. people where to follow you on Twitter and anything else you'd like to promote before we end the show today. Of course, of course. At at Braden Gall on Twitter, you can follow me there. Uh, the Daily Show is the one that, that I've had a really overwhelming reaction to this week so far, and I'm really uh, excited about it. It's every morning on your phone, 4.40 a.m., of course, branding. And uh, less than 10 minutes, get you caught up on everything that's going around in national sports, the biggest stuff. You'll get the, the facts and the analysis real quick, bite-sized, digestible. Um, that's, uh, of course, on 440sports.com. And everywhere podcasts are, all these shows are podcasts. You can get everywhere um, at Football and Other F-Words. Great stuff for the Titans, Music City Audible. Uh, great job previewing the Vikings game this weekend. So you're a Titans fan. We got you covered. You're a Preds fan, Gold Standard, with me and Adam Vingan. We got you covered. That's, a, uh, we think, the best podcast on the Predators in the entire market. And the Fringe Element, of course, is the, my SEC show with Aaron Dugan. Uh, who was inside the the walls of an SEC program, Vanderbilt, for five years. And so she's going to have some stories to tell and, and uh, really fun personality. So um, lots of stuff, man. Lots of stuff. 440sports.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, at 440sports, at 440sports on Facebook, all that good stuff, all the socials. So uh, I do appreciate you letting me uh, publicize all that stuff. Well, and, <laughs> and I'm honored and welcome to Welcome be... to Vandy Sports, to the, to the network. We're very proud to have you guys. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be a part of it. Uh, one of these days, I'll get off my can and get the RSS feed figured out. So <laughs> yes, real, that's, I'm that's sure it's been a real confidence deal. booster since you uh, brought me on that, that I've dragged that's part my of the deal, that. yes. You've got to be actually part of the network to be part of the network. <laughs> right, we'll get there. Hey, Brayden, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And again, we'll, we'll find an excuse to do this again sometime. Anytime, man. Anytime. All right. He's Braden Gall. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with more episodes next week.